Hi, this is Blake Andrews, lead pastor at Victory World Outreach, Denton, Texas. This is our podcast, and we're so glad that you came to check it out today. I hope this message encourages you and inspires you to do great things for God. Amen. Come on. I'm excited to be in church on Friday night. Amen. It's going to be a good weekend. God is going to move in our lives. Amen. It's good to have Pastor Jesse and Julie here from Bowie tonight with us. Amen. Let's thank them for coming tonight. It's good to have Brian, Pastor Brian and Joy with, from Garland with us. Amen. And uh, we're going to see a, a mighty move. How many came expecting tonight? Amen. Tomorrow night. How many going to be back tomorrow night? Let me see your hands. I want to see every hand. And like Pastor Mario said, how many going to invite somebody? Get on your phones. Get on your texts and call somebody. Text someone. Say you need to be here. Amen. We're going to have a, a move of God in this weekend. We're just going to let God do what he wants to do in our lives. Amen. I, I remember when I got saved in 1992, the newsboys was really going strong. And I remember every time I'd get on the radio, I'd hear a new song from the newsboys. And I remember just jamming out to the newsboys as a young Christian. How many remember those days? How many are old enough to be in that time where they were... They were the, the, the biggest thing I knew of, honestly. I mean, just newsboys, newsboys, newsboys. And I never would have known all these years later that I'd be pastoring for one. And I thought I was going to be an evangelist. And that, that uh, we would meet and allow, God would allow us to uh, connect. And uh, we had a great time with, with John and his wife, Tanya, today at lunch. And just getting to know them. And, and we met through a mutual friend. And I know he's got a timely word for us this weekend. Amen. It's exciting to have somebody come in that doesn't know anything about us, but they want to serve God, and he's got a powerful testimony that he's going to share tonight about those days and what the Lord's done since and, and, and how God has, has done miracles and restoration. So let's, let's just be responsive and, and uh, open to, to what God wants to do in our lives. How many want to leave different tonight than when we came in? Amen? Allow God to just speak to your heart. As John comes with his wife, Tanya, let's give them a big Denton, Texas welcome. Amen. Let them know that they're welcome and love tonight. Awesome. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. Awesome. Fantastic. G'day, folks. How are you tonight? Hey, you doing good? It is absolutely awesome to be in the outback of America, Texas. You know you're in Texas when, uh, when the gentleman up here before encourages the congregation to hogtie somebody and bring them to church. I, I had to turn to my wife and say, translate, what the heck is he saying, you know? But it is so cool to be here. And, and like Pastor Blake said, it's, it's our prayer this weekend. We have the privilege of not only being here tonight, but tomorrow night and then for both services on Sunday, it's our prayer that you would experience this incredible God who we sing about, who we praise, that you would experience His love, His mercy, His grace, His forgiveness, that God would do a miracle in your heart, in your marriage, in your life. And like Pastor said, if, if you know people, friends, if you have no unchurched friends, for God's sake, get a life and make some friends. Come on. Hey. And I really pray, that's my prayer, that 
that you wouldn't be impacted by John and Tanya James because if it's, if it's just about another speaker, another guest, another service, we're wasting our time. But as we come hungry and we seek his face, that we would encounter God this weekend, amen, that like Pastor said, we would leave here different. I don't want to leave the same way as I came. I, I want God to do a work in my heart, in my life, in my marriage, in my family. And so that's my prayer tonight. So what I'm going to do just for a moment, I'm going to turn it over to my beautiful wife. And, uh, and she's just going to lead us in one more song. Is that okay? Even if you said no, we're going to do it anyhow. So I'm going to hand it over to my wife and I'll be back in a minute. Thanks, darling.
Praise God. You may be seated. No, don't go away. Come over here. I think we live in a world today in our culture, especially on social media, where we feel this ongoing pressure to post on social media, to, to give the appearance that my life is just perfect, that we never go through storms or such a, suffer grief or loss of pain, that my life is just this incredible fairy tale story. You can be going through the most difficult season of, of your life, but still on social media will post the picture of the perfect selfie. You can be going through the most difficult situation, a, a shipwreck, a storm in, in your family, in, in a marriage, but online will still post the picture of the perfect marriage, the perfect family, the perfect vacation. Have you ever posted this one, a photograph of the perfect children? But who knows, <laughs> real life is not like social media. You know, we live in a culture that wants to judge or evaluate or classify somebody by the way we look, by the way we dress, the type of car we drive, the street address where we live. Do you have a degree? If you do, how many letters before or after your name? Because we look according to the way the world looks on the outside. But God's economy is so different. And, and I see my wife up here tonight looking beautiful. Uh, she's having a good hair day. Uh, the makeup's working. The outfit's coordinated. And you can look on the outside and think, man, that woman must have her life just so together that her life must have been the most easy fairy tale story. But see, I know the miracle of the testimony of not only what God has done in my wife's life, but the miracle of healing and restoration, the miracle of deliverance, of wholeness that he continues to do. You know, out at our resource table, where is it? Out, out there, my wife has her latest album out there, and there's one particular song on here. It's the one about restore, that... She spoke, wrote this song about the miracle of God's restoration in the most difficult, painful, heart-wrenching season of her life. So I'm going to put you on the spot. And just for a couple of moments, would you just share with the folks what your life's journey was like and the miracle of not only what God has done, but what he continues to do. So I was born into a, a family. My dad was an alcoholic, so he would go to work and go to the bars and come home drunk. And I would be at a piano in the middle of our living room, and I would hide behind that piano till he passed out. Then I would come and go to bed. And this is night after night. I had three sisters and my mom that lived in this same environment. But you figure when you're failing, when your life is such a wreck like mine was, I was failing academically. I was so full of fear, I was isolated myself from my teachers. My teachers didn't know what I was going through. And I never wanted my friends to come home to my house because I was so embarrassed of the house that I was in. We were very poor. And um, there was holes all over the walls where my dad would punch holes in the walls and our furniture was all torn up and just a disaster living in that environment. By the time I was um, 11, my dad started moving out and he moved in with other women and he was always come back home to my mother, would always take him back. And he'd say, I'm going to change, right? I'm going to change. Things will be different. And they never, never were. I remember one week before Christmas, 
he moved out, but he came back home, and I was so, so happy that he came back home. I wrote a little note, and I put it in his sock drawer, and I said, Daddy, I'm so glad that you're home this time. Please don't leave again. But a week later, he left, and that time it was for good. My mother tried to commit suicide, was unsuccessful, but she suffered with so much mental illness due to what my father did to her that she was a non-existent parent. So you figure four teenage girls with absolutely no parental supervision will get in a lot of trouble, and we got in a lot of trouble. By the time I was 18, I couldn't wait to get out of the house. My other three sisters went to college. I went off to modeling school in New York, but fast forward from that. By the time I'm 24, I'm married and divorced two times because hurting people hurt people. It's what we do, right? We don't know any better, and I wasn't saved. I didn't have Jesus in my life, but at the age of 25, God got a hold of my life, started turning my life around. I got married for a third time at 26. Go figure, 26 years old, married three times already. But God got a hold of me. I became pastor of women's ministry. My, head is, my life is going in the right direction. We have two beautiful children. I be, and I'm in ministry, full-time ministry I'm in. And um, my marriage, and 10 years into that marriage, it turned abusive. But I stayed because I'm saved. God's going to fix this, right? God's, I'm a Christian. God, you're going to do something here. And the more I prayed, the worse things got. I almost died in the hospital. Till God said, you've got to leave this relationship. This is not what I have for you. Not only did I, that marriage ended after 22 years, I stayed with that man. But my niece, who was like my daughter, was with me more than with her mother, um, committed suicide at the age of 18, just to start her senior year of high school. And my mother died suddenly from cancer. So you figure in one year, lost my marriage, lost my niece that was like my daughter and my mother. And I was mad at God. I was living in upstate New York. I packed my car with everything I could fit in it, and I drove to Florida to get the furthest place away from New York State where all this happened to me. And I just gave up on God. I said, this God thing didn't work out for me. God, you were supposed to protect me, right? Because we feel like we're supposed to be, now that we're saved, God, you're supposed to save me from all the bad things that's supposed to happen in the world. Well, he didn't do that. And I was mad at God. I drove to Florida, like I said. I was grieving over the loss of my mother and my niece, my marriage, why did this happen? And I started a construction company. I was going to become a nun. I swear to God, I was going to be <laughs> like, I just want to serve the Lord. And until uh, they said, you can't wear makeup, then I was like, that's not going to work out for me so well. And, and I was just getting my life back on track, started a construction company, vowed I would never get married again, never again to this marriage thing doesn't work out for this girl. So God brings somebody along in my life that is a mutually with music. But we, d we dated long distance. He lived in Texas at the time, and I was living in Florida. And the first place we went to as husband and wife was upstate New York. And I remember we were invited to a little Mennonite church out in the middle of nowhere. And we were staying at a little inn in the town that I was born and raised in, Krogan, New York. I got to this little inn, and I remember that night I got on the floor and I cried like a baby because a mile down the road, my mother is buried next to my beautiful niece, and that place resembled so much pain and trauma for me that I vowed I'd never go back to, but God healed me. Sometimes he's got to take you back to the places that are painful in your life, right, to renew, to say, I'm doing a new thing. You don't have to stay there, and you don't have to camp there. We all have testimonies, right? of God's goodness and grace, but I don't live in the pain anymore. I don't live with regret. I don't live in failure. I used to be afraid to stand up in front of a queue of people to say, I've been divorced so many times. God, how can you use my life and the mess that I feel like it is to bring you glory? But he does. Amen.
wait. Yeah, praise God. Just wait. One more thing. Just don't go away yet. Stay here. Trying to get away. <laughs> you brushed over it really quickly. But I know the absolute pain, how it just tore your heart out. Would you share a little bit about how you dealt with mentally, emotionally, physically, the death of your niece, the suicide of your niece? That was You said she was like your own daughter. And how you navigated and walked through that painful loss in your life. Well, anybody that suffers through suicide, it's a horrible thing to go through for a family member to lose anybody to suicide, especially somebody that young that had so much future and hope. But I remember the night that I got the phone call from my sister to say what, sh what had happened to Alicia, and I immediately went to her home, and we were just sitting there trying to process everything, and the cops came in, and I remember they said, somebody's got to go out and, I and uh, identify Alicia. And my sister got up to go out to the ambulance where she was, and I said, I, you sit down. That is not going to be the last image that you see of your daughter in a body bag. But I felt like I spared her that image in her head of what her beautiful daughter looked like. But I also, I, and after she le they took her away, and, and I was laying in her bed trying to process what she had gone through. I said, she slept in this bed last night. What was going through her mind? And her journal was next to her bed, and I picked it up, and I started reading stories about pain that I knew nothing about. Like, and I saw, I asked her all the right questions, like, Alicia, how are you doing? She's like, I'm fine, Aunt Tanya, I'm good. She wasn't good, obviously, and I was trying to pick her brain and be in, I was in her face. I was in her face, and she sent a text. The last text that she sent was to her boyfriend, and these are the words that she said. Words hurt, and I'm going to show you how much. Words are painful. Words are painful and can be very hurtful. You've got to watch out what we say and what we do with our words, who you're texting, kids, l small kids, l older kids. Be careful what you're texting. And Facebook and social media is a horrible because it's such a platform to abuse people behind words, right? So I remember just like picking up her journal and reading through these stories, but also I opened a hope or homework paper that she had. And their question on this homework paper, it was actually in Spanish, and I had to have somebody interpret it, but it said, who's the person that you mo most look up to? And it, she said it was my Aunt, Aunt Tanya. I look up to Aunt Tanya. That's, that's me. And uh, it says, why? Because, and then she said I, on the paper, because she's so beautiful and easy to talk to. And I said, if I'm so easy to talk to, why are you not here? So we got to be in people's face, because how many people walk into church like, I'm fine, I'm good, right? We put on this mask. And you're not helping people when you don't do that. If you have pain inside, especially in your, if you're in leadership, because I know when I was pastor of women's ministries, I was serving people so much. I was dealing with so much stuff in my own home life that nobody, not even my pastor, he knew a little bit about what was going on. But I thought if I didn't show like I had it all together, who's going to look up to me and how, who I'm not going to be able to help people. But under my own roof, my marriage is failing, and I'm going through the trauma that I went through in church, in church, right? In church, so that's, um, we do a lot in recovery, and we love it. We do a lot in dr drug and alcohol facilities. We love ministering to these people that are broken, and you're gonna hear a little bit about John's testimony tonight, and I pray that you're blessed by that, because we all have a story, right? We all have a testimony of God's goodness, right? Thank you, darling. Praise God, yeah. The miracle of a testimony. I'll say it again. This incredible God who we serve, 
is still in the business of bringing hope to the hopeless, life to the lifeless, uh, bringing miracle testimonies out of hopeless situations. Don't you dare sit there or watch online and listen to Tanya's story and think, well, that's great for her. That's just an, um, a wonderful testimony because she's special. Listen, this room tonight, this church is filled with miracle testimonies like that. We're all on a journey of being changed into the image and likeness of Christ. There's people here tonight that you're closer to the kingdom of God. There's ones here who are far from the kingdom of God. There's ones here tonight that earnestly, passionately believe in God. I'm sure there's ones here that are questioning God. We are all on a journey of encountering God. But can I suggest tonight, I believe it's no accident you're here. It's no accident Tanya and I are here. But God has brought Tanya and I to America as missionaries to reach America. What a novel idea. Missionaries actually coming to America. Go figure that. I believe there's not a shortage of lost, broken people out there. More than ever, a message of hope found in Christ alone needs to resonate in this great nation. So we travel around a lot. Like Tanya said, we speak all across this great nation. We do a lot of speaking in drug and alcohol facilities. We do a lot of speaking in uh, public schools. We're seeing God move powerfully in the midst of public schools. Go figure that. Don't buy into the rubbish and the rhetoric you hear on television or read in the tabloids. Uh, you know, the school system in America, the public school system can do their best to lock God out, to keep God out, to keep the church out. Let me say God's not intimidated by that. <laughs> if God wants to move in the midst of the most hostile anti-God environment on the place face of the planet, guess what? He will. <laughs> he doesn't need their permission. He will raise up. He will raise up everyday, ordinary, dysfunctional people like you and I. Come on. Eh? We're all on a journey of healing and wholeness. We're all on a journey of learning to let go of the wounds and the baggage. We've experienced the miracle of the cross and His shed blood, but there's a renewing of the mind, a transformation. You might be sitting there think, well, I don't have any wounds or scars. I haven't been through any tragic storms. I'm like, be patient, there's one coming for you. Welcome to life. And so, uh, as missionaries to America, we see God using us, just a couple of ordinary people. Tanya made a powerful statement. She said there was a time in her life when she went to Florida that she felt she had a big D painted on a divorced. Who's going to want somebody like me? And so often we can feel like we are discarded, devalued. We can feel like we are thrown to the side of the road and life is just passing us by. But let me say and let me remind us all, God sees you. He hasn't brought you this far to discard you. He hasn't brought you this far to abandon you. He takes great pleasure 
in fulfilling the purpose according to His will and His desire. He's placed His great Holy Spirit in us at the deposit. He has a vested interest in you and I as His sons and daughters. Not because we are so magnificent, but because He is a good dad. He is faithful. He is just. He is holy. And God is powerfully moving in your life. Sometimes God is moving powerfully and we're not even aware of it. And I pray as we share a little bit, as I share a little bit of my testimony tonight, my story, that God would powerfully impact you with your life story, your testimony. If you have your Bibles, would you open them? If not, don't worry. I believe we're going to put the Bible in the sky up there for you. If you have a literal Bible or you with your clever little iPhones or smart devices, open them up. Reading from the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 3. Do your best to follow. I'm reading from the Australian Outback version. Just kidding. Ephesians chapter three, read, chapter 1, rather, reading from verse 3. Listen to this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He made us accepted in the beloved in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace which he made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself How do we respond to this scripture? The miracle of what has taken place. This incredible God that has literally intervened in the course of our lives. So often we pat ourselves on the back thinking, well, I remember the day I met Jesus. And yes, there is a response of the heart of a person, a yielding, an opening up, a coming to Christ. But don't ever forget that none of us are here if it wasn't for the fact that the Scripture said no one comes unto the Father except that He draws them. You and I were predestined before you were ever conceived in your mother's womb, before the world was created, we were in the purpose and the plan and the heart of God. That He has adopted you and I, called us now as sons and daughters. So how, what should be our response to the miracle of the testimony we have? The proper response to our election, our calling, our adoption, call it what you want, is not arrogance or pride or complacency, but an act of worship of service, of holiness. How do we respond with the miracle of a testimony? Is it just something that occasionally we reminisce about and it makes us feel warm and cozy and fuzzy? 
Occasionally we might have a testimony night where we can break out all the old stories and the old testimonies. Is it something that a testimony is purely for my edification, my journey, my boast, my claim? I want to suggest tonight that the epitome of selfishness is for you and I to take the miracle of our testimony of what the Scripture talks about, the miracle of what God has done in you and I to bring us to this place of revelation, of knowing Him. The greatest act of selfishness, if we could take the power of our testimony and selfishly keep it to ourselves. There is a world out there here in Denton, is that right? I get it right? Denton, Texas, that is desperately needing to hear your testimony that is uniquely yours. A testimony of God's love, His mercy, His grace. You might be sitting there thinking, well, that's fine for you, John James. You're a missionary to America. It's fine for Pastor Blake. That's his job. It's fine for this person or that. I'm just a housewife. I'm just a school teacher, a rancher, a farmer, a gardener, a builder, unemployed. Let me remind us all tonight that we're all in the ministry. You don't need to be on staff at a local church. You do not need a degree before or after your name. Hello, church. We're all in the ministry. When, When Jesus said, come, follow me, You enlisted in the army of God, not to be a bystander or a spectator, but our response to the miracle of salvation is worship to Him, service to Him, a journey of sanctification, of holiness for Him. We don't need to be on staff. If if you want to find the lost, guess what? We're all in the ministry, and if you think I'm not in the ministry, wait, uh, uh, go. There I ordained you all. We're all in the ministry of reconciliation, reconciling the lost to the kingdom of God. The most powerful tool we can give the lost is the miracle of our testimony that demands to be shared, not selfishly kept to ourselves. The miracle of a testimony can impact lives, can change lives. You do not need to hop on a plane and fly to a foreign land to find the lost. Now, if God called you on the mission field abroad, then by all means go. But I want to remind us all tonight, if you want to find the lost, there's good news. Wake up tomorrow morning, walk outside the front door of your house, and you'll be like, crikey, I found the lost. They're not that lost. I'm surrounded by them. (laughs) My neighbor. The people I see at the, my workplace every day, the, the folks in that school, the marketplace, there is not a shortage of broken, lost, hopeless people out there. And God has given you and I the miracle and the responsibility of a testimony that our lives are not our own anymore. Could you imagine If you decided one day to enlist in the armed forces of the United States of America, one day you thought, today I'm going to enlist whatever branch, the Navy, the Air Force, the Army. You thought, I'm going to enlist. You know why? Because I love the uniform. 
I think the uniform is just so fine. You get the cute little uniform, a little hat. You might even get some nice medals and badges and shiny shoes. I just love the uniform. And the benefits are incredible. But guess what? You're going to be in for a rude awakening on your first day of training. When they, at the crack of dawn, you are harassed and kicked out of bed. And now the hard work, and you're like, woo, woo, wait a second. I didn't sign up for this. Pain, persecution, hard work, stress, training. No, I just signed up for the uniform. I'm just a spectator. Can I dare say that you would not last in the military for long? (laughs) But sometimes we come to God with the same mindset. Well, we know this incredible miracle of what he has done to lavish on us, to adopt us, to make a way into his kingdom. But I just want to be a spectator. He's just the PS to my life. It's like God should be happy. I come to church pretty regularly. I put money in the plate and the offering, so they should be happy. God has called you and I to so much more than just filling a seat in a church. He's called you and I to just putting money in an offering so other people can do all the work. We have a responsibility. God is calling you and I to be proactive. You might be a school teacher. Guess what? You're on the mission field. God has called you to be the kingdom of God in the teaching world. You might be a carpenter, a builder, a tradesman. Guess what? You're on the mission field. God has called you to be the kingdom of God. See, we have this crazy notion about ministry. Well, one day I'm going to be in the ministry. It's like you're wasting your lives. We're all in the ministry, amen? We have all enlisted in the army of God. For his service, for his glory. The power of a testimony. I look at my life. People used to look at me up on stage, the lead singer and co-founder of one of the all-time biggest Christian bands in the world. At the height of my success with the band, we were selling millions of albums, making over $15 million a year. The biggest concert I ever performed was in Washington, D.C., in front of that pointy thing. Come on, you Americans. What's wrong with you? The Washington Monument. Help me out here. In front of 750,000 people at a single show. Countless number one songs, Grammy nomination, gold and platinum albums. People used to look at me from afar up on stage, this celebrity. They used to look at me like somebody as successful as you. You must have had the most loving, supportive, nurturing, caring family. That the moment you were born, your parents must have positively affirmed and spoke purpose and destiny and hope over your life. (laughs) People used to look at me up on stage singing the hit songs and think somebody as successful as you. Man, you must be so talented, so gifted, so special, so anointed. I wish all of that was true. Everything I just said then, it sounds so wonderful. It actually sounds like a trailer, a commercial for one of those painful, cheesy Christmas Hallmark movies that my wife forces me to watch now. (laughs) 
It couldn't be further from the truth. Like Tanya, the miracle of what God did in my life, like Tanya, I also was born into the most abusive, toxic, dysfunctional, broken family. After the beatings and the abuse, and God only knows what my earthly dad back then did to my four sisters, my brother, my poor mum. Dad just walked out and abandoned us, left us. He just destroyed emotionally, physically, mentally our family for years. He did such an abusive number on my mother that he left mum a battered physical, emotional wreck. Through the beatings and the abuse, mum also unfortunately was in such an unhealthy place mentally with mental illness and unfortunately mum made a decision to take off and walk out and abandon us also. I had four sisters and a brother. I knew none of them growing up. We were all torn apart, sent to live in different homes. Academically, I was a total failure at school. I didn't even have a high school education. No university, nothing. I was kicked out, expelled from practically every school I ever attended. I can remember being a child growing up. I had no sense of value, no sense of worth or a, or a sense of a future or a hope. Back then as a teenager, I felt like if I died tomorrow, who cares? If I died tomorrow, no one's going to come to my funeral and sit on a pew and shed a tear that I've left this world. Because honestly, friends, back then I had no sense of value or worth or a sense of hope. But the most amazing thing happened to me at the age of 15. I'll never forget it. I remember walking home from school in this little town in the middle of nowhere in the outback of Australia. As I walked home from school this day, it was actually from detention. I remember it clearly. I'm still scarred. I walked home this day, and somehow on the journey home, I met a stranger in the street. A random conversation was struck up at the time. At the moment, I thought it was just some coincidental encounter with some stranger in the street walking home from school in a little town in the middle of nowhere in the outback of Australia. But little did I know that something far greater at that moment was taking place than anything I could ever imagine. Little did I know that through that random stranger, I thought, in the street, the kingdom of God was on a collision course with my life. I just didn't realize it yet. And maybe you here tonight. Maybe you're a regular. Maybe you're a visitor. Maybe you come occasionally. Maybe you saw an ad. Maybe somebody invited you to church tonight. They said, oh, you need to come to church tonight. We have Steve Irwin's cousin speaking at our church. <laughs> Not really. But again, I'll say it. It's no, maybe it's no accident you're here. Maybe it's no accident I'm here. Maybe tonight, maybe this weekend, the kingdom of God is on a collision course with your life and you might not just realize it yet. The miracle of what God is going to do in your life, in your marriage, in your family, in your body, beyond anything you could have ever imagined. Not because we are so incredible and great, but because he is so majestic, because he is great, his glory, we praise him tonight. So through that young man, he was the vehicle that God used to introduce me to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I started following after this man called Jesus. 
A little while later, I moved from that small outback town to another small town on the east coast of Australia called Malulabar. Try spelling that if you're smart. One day at church, I met another young man, a new believer like me. A friendship was struck up, and through the friendship, I discovered that him and a few other mates were talking about starting a band. I quickly learned they had no lead singer, so obviously I elected myself. I never sung a note in my life in, except in the shower, but I thought, come on, how hard can it be? We're not working for NASA here. It's not rocket science. So we started a band, a bunch of uneducated, barbaric, passionate Aussie boys annoying the heck out of the neighbours every Saturday in our garage. One day we decided to come to America. There was no bright light from heaven. The prophet never came to town and gave us the word of the Lord. We had a desire. We saw a need. We thought, man, let's go to America. We had no record contract, no bookings, no gigs, no connections, nothing. We thought we can go to America and use music as a vehicle to bring the greatest message of hope that this nation could ever hear. A message of hope found in who? In Christ and Christ alone. We thought, in America, everybody loves music, yes? Well, except country music, but everybody loves music here. So we come to America with a dream of using music as a vehicle. Now, time doesn't permit. How do I stand up here in the space of a short time and tell my whole life story? I can't. But there are a few things of my testimony that I want to touch on. See, we live in a culture today that is absolutely tantalized and intoxicated with and captivated by fame, success, lifestyles of the rich and dysfunctional. We look at those who have and we look through the lens of I have not and we think, man, what would it be like to have all of that? Well, let's just say at the heights of success of gaining the world, I got an education on what it was like to gain the world, to have it all. Now, I don't want to stand here tonight and I look back on my life's journey. I look back to the greatest shipwreck that destroyed my first marriage, my life, my family, my ministry, my career. I look back on that shipwreck in my life and I realize that it just wasn't an overnight thing. <laughs> I never just woke up one day and sat on the edge of my bed in my big mansion in Nash, Vegas, Tennessee, y'all. And I never sat on the edge of my beautiful luxury home and looked around in my <laughs> mansion, looked in the garage of my luxury cars parked there and thought, right, what's on the agenda today? What's on the agenda this month, this week? Oh, I know. This this week, this month, I'm going to destroy my marriage, my family, my ministry, my life. I'm going, to, I'm going to destroy everything that I love and I've worked so hard for. I'm going to tell you, friends, it didn't happen like that. Can I say, it is really easy in America to have a really successful ministry, but have a really lousy walk with the Lord. At the heights of success, I look back on my demise and I realize it was a journey of little compromises along the way. 
a little compromise here, a little compromise there, a little look at something on the internet there, a little enjoyment of something over there. Ah, it's no big deal. No one will even see. That's so small. It might make a difference. But little did I know at the time that when you begin to erode the foundations of your life, though they may seem so small at the time, eventually it's going to take its toll on every area of your life. At the heights of success, gaining the world, living the dream in the Christian music industry in America, I begin to cut anchors from my life. Anchors that we all have. Don't look at me tonight and put me in a box and say, well, that only applies to you because you're in that crazy music industry. <laughs> you can be a doctor, a nurse, a gardener. Regardless of who you are, especially if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, we all have anchors in our life that keep us grounded and connected to the kingdom, to Christ. Keeps us connected to the vine. At the heights of success, I began to cut anchors from my life. I didn't think it would matter. There's many anchors. Let me quickly share three that destroyed my life. The first anchor I cut from my life was the absolute essential importance, listen to me, of my daily devotion to God. God, I'm just so busy this week because, come on, doesn't life have a tendency to get us all so busy? Barely enough hours in the day. What we have to get done with our work commitments, our job, our family. Like, barely enough hours. God, I'm just so busy this week. Next week, I promise, I'll have twice as many devotions. Well, lo and behold, next week comes and I'm even busier. Now it's the busy season. We're going into the studio now to make our brand new worship album. God, I'm so busy. I promise you in a couple of months, I'll get back to just in the craziness of my life, just stopping each morning before I do anything to give you the first fruits of my day. Whether it's five minutes, 10 minutes, 20, just spending time in your word. Meditating on your word, praying, and allowing the Spirit of God to connect and speak to me. Why is it that in church life we just don't get that? In the natural, we understand the importance of having three good meals a day, some of us more. We understand if I don't get the nutrients I need each day, I can't function, I can't think. Man, if I don't get my several coffees, man, I start to get a headache, I start to fall apart. My wife actually taught me a new word. You ladies might understand it. It's called hangry. Oh, yeah, it's like, it's like man, I just need some food. And once we get some food, I'm like a new creature in Christ. I just calm down, I can function. So we understand in the natural, don't we, how to function. We need to feed this body so that it can do what it was designed to do. Then why is it when it comes to the Word of God? That is not just a book. It's the very life source, the, the teachings and the words of the Creator of Christ that is alive and active, is able to transform and renew our mind and change us from the inside out. Why is it that we are happy and content to live on scraps and walk around at times like we're just one of those malnourished children with barely skin on bones 
But we think we can live on scraps and that's going to give us the strength to be the disciple, to be the follower, to be the father, to be the husband, to be the person we're meant to be in the craziness of this world today. All the best with that. It's not rocket science. When you cut yourself off from the life source, you begin to die. The importance of God's word isn't just a PS. We have to pray and ask God, God, give me such a a hunger for your word. Lord, I want to seek your face, not always seek your hand for what you can do for me or give me. I want to just know you. My wife and I have made a commitment to each other. We don't always get it right, but honestly, we are trying. We made a commitment that we dare not start our day or leave our home until we spent time with the Lord. Spent time just honoring Him, just in His Word, allowing Him to speak to us. So I cut that anchor. Uh, Eventually I got to a place where I stopped having my devotions altogether. Wasn't because I was a bad Christian, didn't love the Lord. I loved the Lord before my heart. I just got so busy, huh? Busy doing everything I thought I should be doing. But I stopped doing the very thing I desperately need to guard and protect and nurture. The next anchor I cut from my life, what do you think it was? The importance of my family. My marriage, my wife, my children. The greatest testimony we can have to the world is the miracle of our marriage, of our family. Doesn't mean we're perfect, but it's a testimony. And if you're sitting there and feeling like you're condemned because you haven't been that person you were meant to be, don't allow the enemy to kick you and keep you down. You can't change the past, but you can make a decision today. God, give me the strength today. I can't change yesterday. You know, I carry the scars of my sin. So often we want to mander around and don't talk about sin. or Call it what it is, sin. Because of the wrong choices, the sin I chose that destroyed my first marriage. I may carry those scars, the consequences of my sin back then that destroyed my first marriage. My career, my ministry, my family, I may carry those scars on my body for the rest of my life. But God in His mercy and His grace has given me a second chance in life. The greatest gift I can give my new wife isn't more shoes, more vacation, more pedicures, even though, darling, I know you love all those. (laughs) The greatest gift I can give her is my devotion to the Lord, my intimacy to God. Because I don't know if you ladies realize it or not, but sometimes we men can be knuckleheads. We can be a bit stubborn. And the more I seek his face and allow the Spirit of God to speak to my heart through his word, that God can challenge and convict me, saying, hey, dad, hey, husband, you shouldn't have spoken to your wife like that. You shouldn't have treated her like that. The, The more intimate and the more I seek his face, the greater I can be the husband to my wife that he's called me to be. You can't change the past, man, eh? We all at times have scars, wounds, regret. Can't change the past, but we can make a decision today, amen?
to allow God to begin to impact us as men. The importance of my family. You know, my family back then didn't need more money, more holidays, more lifestyle. We had more of that than we could ever spend. You know, my family needed more than anything back then was dad just to be there for them. But daddy's off saving the world, saving everyone else's family, everyone else's marriage, saving everyone else's kids. And right under my own roof, I'm losing my own marriage, my own family, <laughs> my own life. The third anchor I cut from my life, I didn't think it would matter, <laughs> was the absolute and essential importance of staying connected, grounded, plugged in, serving, accountable in a local church family. Friends, when you cut those anchors from your life, you're a train wreck about to happen. Oh, it might not happen today. It might not happen tomorrow. It might not happen for six months a year because you're so busy managing the blessing and riding the wave of success and blessing. But I guarantee you, somewhere down the road, there is a train wreck waiting for you. And at the heights of success, gaining the world, living the dream in the music industry in America, my marriage, my family, my ministry, and my life fell apart. I stand here today not as somebody that is qualified to boast about my illustrious career. Have I known success? Yes. <laughs> Have I known what it is to enjoy a big chunk of the American dream and pie? Yes. But I stand here also as somebody that has known what it is to be broken. I stand here today not as a testimony of how great John James is, but a testimony of this incredible God who we serve. I stand here as a testimony of his mercy, of his grace, of his love. I can't change the past, but every day when I wake up now and I sit on the edge of my bed and I'm like, God, give me the strength now to live a life that brings honor and glory to you. That my life is not my own. My life is yours to do with as you see fit. Give me the courage and the boldness and the will and the determination to trust you with my life. I told you when I met Christ when I was 15, this relentless God who we serve who is so majestic, so, who is so beautiful, so is, who is so magnificent. God, by His great Holy Spirit, didn't only impact my life, but God, by His great Holy Spirit, on the other side of Australia, found my biological father. God, anyone is reachable, but not that man, not him. He's unreachable. He's a lost cause. Don't even waste your time with him. And besides, God, do you even know, do you even remember what that man did to my sisters, my brother, my life, how he tore our family apart, how he 
decimated, who messed my family up emotionally, mentally, physically for years. Anyone's reachable, but not him. But this incredible God who we serve found my dad. He was impacted by the kingdom of God in such a powerful way. His life was impacted so dynamically that he instantly led his new wife to the Lord. Listen to me, that's my stepmother. Then he hopped on a plane and flew to where we lived in Australia. We hadn't seen that man in years and we didn't want to. And he has the audacity to lead his ex-wife to the Lord. That's my mother. Then he leads her new husband to the Lord. That's my stepdad. Then the guy goes on a rampage. He's a crazy man out of his mind. He starts leading all, A-double-L, my four sisters and my brother to the Lord. Several of them are pastors of amazing churches in Australia today. Then he starts reaching my aunts, uncles, first cousins, second cousins for the kingdom of God. What's he armed with now? As he's come back on the scene, what, with a boast and a resume of how I was the most amazing husband. Years later, he showed up now with a resume, a boast, how I was the most incredible, supportive, loving, nurturing, affirming father to my kids. He was none of those things. He was the worst husband a woman could ever have. He was the worst father that any child could ever endure. So what's he back with now? What's the potency of his life that is infecting and influencing everyone he meets? What's he armed with now? A testimony. <laughs> I was once a sinner. I, I was once broken. I was once a reject. I was once left on the side of life's journey. So often in America, there is a Kool-Aid Christianity that is sold to motivate people to come to Christ. It's like Christ is your life enhancement gospel. Come to Jesus. You'll never experience pain, persecution, grief, loss, opposition, Come to Jesus. Why? Let me tell you. Oh, because he has the most incredible, the most amazing, the most life-changing, the most spectacular plan and purpose for your life that is bigger than anything you could ever imagine. Who wants to sign up? That's not the gospel message. You know what the gospel message is? We're all sinners. We're all broken. We're all lost. We were all, A-double-L, under the judgment and the wrath of God because of the sin in our life. And there is nothing that you and I could ever do to be good enough, worthy enough, holy enough to have this salvation. But in spite of our sin that separated us from God, unapproachable to this God that lives in such light and glory that even the angels have to hide their eyes because of His splendor and His holiness, because of this God in the midst of our sin and brokenness, because of His love, His goodness, His mercy, He sent His Son to die to hang on a cross. The message today 
is that we are all lost and broken, that we desperately need a saviour, that we can't fix ourselves. Enough with the TED Talks, enough with the self-help, self-fix, self-diagnose. Me, me, I and I. I'm a mess, God. I can do nothing without you. Because friends, let me tell you, one day we're all going to stand before God and give an account for our lives. I don't know about you guys, but one day when I stand before God, I want to hear, well done, you incredibly little handsome bore man with an accent. Well done. Not the alternative. You know what the alternative is? Depart from me. I never knew you. (laughs) Excuse me? How rude are you? Depart from me. Don't you know who I am? (laughs) Don't you know how I faithfully sat in a seat at church for 35, 40 years? Don't you know how much money I gave to the church? Don't you know that I was lead singer of one of the biggest Christian bands in the world? (laughs) Da-da! None of that impresses him. None of it. You know, when we stand before God and he looks at us, you know what he wants to see? A reflection of himself. (laughs) A reflection of him. That you and I no longer exist. But see, we live in a world today, it's all about my identity. How dare you? It's my identity, who I am. (laughs) that he would see a reflection of himself in us. So I'm touring America as a missionary. <laughs> I get a phone call from home. Family members in tears. I instantly knew what's happened. They said, John, we're so sorry. You're so far from home. But it's your dad. Your dad, he's had a heart attack and died. And it broke my heart because I couldn't be there in the hospital to hold him, to kiss him, to be there when he breathed his last. The very man that was responsible for absolutely destroying our family (laughs) was the very person, according to his will, his purpose, for his glory, that God chose to use as a testimony the very person who destroyed my family went on to become my family's great patriarch went on to become the greatest role model the greatest teacher the greatest inspiration in my life because of my dad (laughs) my family now has a future and an inheritance because of the testimony of that man's life just imagine Just imagine if my dad decided after he had this wonderful tantalizing experience with God that gave me goosebumps and made me feel so good about me if he decided just to go about his merry way now and live his life for himself. Where would my family be today? The power of a testimony. 
We think he's not only God, I can only talk about the good times in my life. Let me all be reminded, he's not only God of the mountaintops, he's God of the valleys, God of the storms, God of the shipwreck, God of the pain, God of the brokenness, God of the loss. It's all a part of our journey, the ups, downs, highs, lows. Just imagine if my dad had kept it to himself. And we just think, well, I just said, I'm nothing. I just, you're nothing. Do you understand what we read in, in the scripture, in Ephesians? What God put in the place before the foundations of the world to adopt and graft you into his presence and glory? He has a purpose. Yes, he does. The purpose is his glory, for his honour. The power of a testimony. How dare you and I waste our lives and selfishly keep it to ourselves. So I hopped on a plane. I flew back to Australia. I buried my dad. I sent him home. Well done, good and faithful servant. You go home, mate. I'll see you again one day. Then I hopped on a plane and came back to the last place in the world I ever wanted to come back with, back to this country with a message of hope. The point I'm trying to make is this. My, my dad used to always say, son, you can't change the past. But son, just like the Bible says today, is the day of miracles. Today is the day of salvation. With the dawn of every new day, today God declares his goodness, his favor, his mercy, his grace. Son, you can't change the past, but today we make a decision of how we're going to live, how we're going to die and be changed into the image and likeness of Christ. Today, men, we make a decision of the type of husband, the type of father. I can't change the past. Just like you, I have scars, I have regret. One of the miracles, and I'm so excited, you know, I was so moved tonight when my, the generosity of this church with the offering to sow into Tanya and I as missionaries, like as missionaries traveling around America. One of your giving will go towards the miracle of my daughters. I have not seen my daughters in three years because of the lockdowns, shutdowns, everything down in Australia. And we are believing God for the miracle, eh, honey, for my daughters to come to have this year Christmas with us. And, and, and I... What was that word, that brother? What's the word for Little. Tiny in your language, in Spanish. Huh? I'm not asking you, I'm asking your wife, mate. Uh, do you speak? Okay, well, what is it? Pequeño. How's my pronunciation? And even with your pequeño giving, my wife and I are humbled by your generosity. You know, we have needs in our lives. We have secret prayers, financial needs as you do. And we, are, we have prayers and uh, but we are believing God for a miracle so we can continue to do what God's called us to do. But God is healing the relationship with my daughters. Is it where I want it to be? No. But I know every day we are praying 
for a miracle of healing, restoration. Amen? We can't change the past, guys, but we make a decision how we live today. Amen? The miracle of what my dad, you know, my dad used to say, son, never give up on people. No matter how far they may seem from God, no matter how broken, no matter how lost, never give up on people. My dad used to say, if that person has a heartbeat, there's hope. <laughs> My dad used to say, every heartbeat is like a prophetic prayer that says hope, hope, hope. So don't you dare sit there and think, what can I do? Oh, what can you do in the hands of God? <laughs> All the psychologists in the world couldn't have put my broken, messed up, dysfunctional, toxic family back together. But God, what can you do? Allow God to use you as a testimony. If you can think of one family member one loved one, one relative, one neighbor, one associate that you can think of in your world that doesn't know Christ. Let me see your hand. Oh, look at that. Can I suggest that God has not called me to America to reach that person you put your hand up, but God is calling you. You might say, yeah, John, that's a nice speech. It sounds great. Hoorah. I've prayed and believed for years but nothing there for years i've tried i've given up <laughs> given up just imagine if god thought like that in regards to you and i oh i've tried for years to reach them i'm given up just think if god gave up on us <laughs> we don't give up we will do everything everything god has given us we will use our testimony our love our heart as a beacon of life. Amen? Would you bow your heads? Just as the music team, if they could, if they could come up, that would be great. Well, every head is bowed. Not because we have to bow our head and close our eyes. I just don't want people to be distracted and looking around. Maybe you've never taken that first step towards the kingdom of God. Never. Maybe you've never come to that place of realizing that you're lost. <laughs> you're separated from God. That there is only one way to God and that is through Christ, the Savior. Through his shed blood at Calvary. Maybe there's never been a cry that says, God, I desperately need you. I need you, Savior. Or maybe you're here tonight. You, you've gone to church for years. But maybe life's journey has blown you off course. Maybe you need a miracle in your life, in your family, in your marriage. Maybe you're dealing with things that not even the person sitting next to you knows about. But God is powerfully speaking and drawing you. Wanting to breathe hope and life into you. To recourse, rechart your life, the course of your life. And get you back on track, moving towards His purpose and His glory. Maybe you're just sitting there and there's a cry in your heart. 
just says, please, God, help me. If that's you tonight, and God is speaking to your heart, and there's a cry, you need a miracle in your life. If that's you, just raise your hand and say, John, pray for me. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Who else? You can put those hands down. Thanks, mate. You might say, John, I'd love to raise my hand, but I've gone to church for years. What will people think? I say, who cares? Who cares? People think. God, help us if we can't be honest in church. Amen. God, help us. But as the Spirit of God is drawing people and speaking to the hearts and the lives, we talk about revival. Let the revival fire start in my heart, Lord. <laughs> Let there be a revival in my heart to draw close to you. To have a renewed sense of hunger for you, for passion for you. We'll reach others when there is an overflow out of our hearts of appreciation and love for him. One last time, if you haven't raised your hand, say, John, just pray for me. I need, I need God's breath, his miracle. Thank you. Thanks for being honest, young lady. Thank you. One last time, 10 more seconds. Anyone else? Thank you. Jesus, we worship you. We worship you, God. We thank you for your goodness, for your love. Not by anything we can do, not by our might or our power or our orchestrating or our plans, but it's by your spirit, by your desire, according to your will, your plans for your glory. Why don't we all stand up? If you raised your hand, I'm going to ask you to take a step of faith. And it's not about you coming out the front to some magic altar. <laughs> God can do a miracle whether you're standing here or you're in the back. He's a big God. But I'm going to ask you as a, just as a step of faith, as a, as a declaration, if you raised your hand, whatever God was moving and speaking to your heart, whether it's to reconnect with him for the first time or as a recommitment or just that cry, God, I, I need a miracle in my life. If you raised your hand, I'm going to ask you to leave your seat. Take a step of faith. Step out from your seat. That's it. Come on, for whatever reason. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Praise God. Just Father, I thank you for my brother here, God. I thank you for that. God, you have not brought him this far to abandon him. And, and God, there has been an attack against him that the enemy would love nothing more to, than to knock the legs from out, from underneath him, to to. to knock him to the ground, to, to bring him to his knees. And God, I thank you for the storms and the difficulties and, and the opposition and the shipwrecks uh, that my brother has gone through. But God, I thank you for this miracle day today. 
that God, I thank you that you are raising up testimonies that carry the scars, the battle wounds. <laughs> but Father, I thank you for the new work this day. Father, as we bend the knee for your glory, we don't bend the knee to the world, but we bend the knee before his majesty. Father, on the outside, I, I see the frame of a strong man who knows what it is to stand tall and proud and strong. But Father, you would come to cause a cry and a strength and a roar within his heart that he would be a man who knows what it is to have a soft heart before the Lord. God, we can't change the past, but today is a new day. A new day. God, we don't live in the regret or the dreams or the hopes of yesterday, but Father, today we make a decision, God. God, I, I, I seek your face. I seek you. Why is it, God, at times we, we want a move of God, we want to see a manifestation of your glory, but we want it to look like what we experienced yesterday. God, have your way in any, any way you desire, how you want it to look. I thank you for my brother. I thank you for his life. I thank you, God, that you are in a degree coming to mess him up totally. <laughs> totally mess him up. Totally take him out of his comfort zone. <laughs> but God, you're going to cause a shout and a boldness and a roar to echo from his life. Father, I pray for every one of my brothers and sisters that stand here tonight as a declaration to you. Your majesty, we, we honor you tonight. You see the lives and the cries of your people here. Father, you come to ignite a fire. You come to set the captive free. You come to break the chains. You are here not for our entertainment tonight, but you are come to have your way. Father, I thank you that we're all learning what it is to take up our cross and follow you. We're learning what it is to die to self. Let tonight be a catalyst. Let tonight be a declaration from the youngest to the oldest. I speak miracles of relationship, miracle healings in body, restorations, testimonies. Let the miracle of the testimony echo from this house. Let this place, this church be a hospital, a beacon of light. With the broken, the lost, the wounded, the rejected, the outcast, the abandoned are all welcome. But Father, they come to this place not to stay that way, but to allow the Spirit of God to move in their life to bring a testimony of healing, deliverance, restoration. Let it start. In Jesus' name I pray. Every one of you at the front, look at me, look up here. God comes by His Spirit, and He tugs on our heart. He challenges, He moves, He inspires, He convicts. And our job is to respond to what the Spirit of God, to always do our best to keep a soft heart that is pliable. 
But what God is wanting to do on this altar isn't about coming forward to the altar to get a magic fix. God can move and use this time as a catalyst, but you have to make a decision, not only when you're here at church, but when you leave to partner with God. I want to challenge you to reach out to family, to reach out to church. Whatever you're dealing with, whatever your journey, life wasn't meant to be walked alone, amen? (laughs) Family, that we walk together, we encourage, we lift up, we pray for. We're here as family. I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for an awesome local church that brought me in and adopted me. I was broken and beat up and and a mess. I stand here today not only as a testament of this awesome God, but the testimony of an awesome local church when it's done right. That's, That's the miracle. Accountability transparency we make a decision it's not about coming to the front and having an emotional high when you are impacted by god are our emotions at times impacted absolutely yes but the reason to keep forward isn't about sustaining an emotional high it's about allowing the spirit of god father i thank you for these people at the front God, I thank you for the work you've done, the work you're continuing to do. Let this be, let tonight be a catalyst. Sweep over them like a tsunami in their lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks again for listening. If you want to hear more messages, please subscribe to our podcast channel. And if you like it, consider rating it and sharing it with your friends. For more content from VWO Denton, go to our website at vwotexas.com.